Welcome to the ESMA Open Podcast. Today, Professor Cardoso will report on the highlights in breast cancer from this year's ASCO. Welcome, Professor Cardoso. Hello. Thank you for having me. My first question would be, could you provide us with a short overview on the practice-changing studies presented at this year's ASCO? Yes. So let's start with the uh, advanced breast cancer setting. And here, clearly, uh, this year was, let's say, the confirmation year for the CDK inhibitors, so the cycline uh, D uh, inhibitors, because uh, we have the results of the phase three trial, Paloma 2, that uh, actually confirm the benefit of adding um, palbociclib, one of the uh, CDK inhibitors, to endocrine therapy. So um, although we don't have yet overall survival results, it does show uh, an important benefit in terms of uh, PFS. So if we would use a magnitude of clinical benefit scale, this would be one of the situations where this specific drug in this specific setting would uh, score quite high in, in the ESMO scale. So substantial benefit in PFS, meaning 10 months benefit, not yet overall survival benefit, overall a well-tolerated drug. So um, uh, personally, I would like to see the overall survival data before taking any, let's say, final decision, but it, it is a very good uh, step forward in the treatment of luminal advanced breast cancer. Still in this uh, field, we also had some interesting uh, presentation regarding the role of the mutations of the estrogen receptor in perhaps guiding us in what type of endocrine therapy or endocrine therapy plus uh, targeted agent we should use for uh, treating patients whose tumors have the uh, ESR1 mutation. So, uh, what we have learned from this study, which is a side study of the Paloma 3, is that for uh, tumors who harbor this mutation, an aromatase inhibitor alone, it is not the best treatment. And the uh, use of a different endocrine therapy, particularly when associated with a biological, in this case, the palvociclib or CDK inhibitor, uh, we seem to be able to overcome the resistance induced by uh, this mutation of the estrogen receptor. Now, this was just a proof of principle needs to be confirmed, but it's quite um, an interesting uh, result. Now, going for still in the advanced uh, breast cancer setting, but going for the HER2 positive uh, subtype, we had the presentation of a study called FEREXA, and this is a very interesting study that looks at the combination of uh, trastuzumab and pertuzumab, so the com uh, concept of dual blockade, but in this situation, the dual blockade was done in association with capcitabine and uh, in patients of second line uh, and not the first line as the Cleopatra trial. And what we have learned is that we do see a benefit. It is not an extraordinary benefit, but it's still 
uh, an interesting benefit, not so much in PFS, only two months difference, but in overall survival, we um, actually see uh, eight months benefit. So something to take uh, into account that we probably don't have such a higher benefit with the dual blockade as we were expecting uh, or, or as we saw in Cleopatra. For me, the interpretation is patients who have received previous trastuzumab are, of course, more difficult to treat, have more resistance mechanisms in their tumors, and so the benefit is lower. But this study gives us the data that we need to be able to prescribe a dual blockade if the patient did not receive it in the first line. Um, we have no data whatsoever in the continuing beyond progression of the dual blockade, so that is not recommended by uh, the ESMO guidelines or any other guideline um, for, for what it matters. So in terms of metastatic setting or advanced setting, the only other thing I would highlight would be a presentation of one of the first trials with a biosimilar of trastuzumab. So the heritage trial was presented, was well conducted, and showed that the biosimilar is certainly not inferior to the original trastuzumab, so the Herceptin. And um, all the data points for at least as good as um, the uh, original trastuzumab. Now, what we would uh, obviously would need to know is what will be the cost of this biosimilar, and if indeed it um, it will allow for a reduction in cost that will make this treatment available for more patients around the world. Now going to the early breast cancer setting, a couple of interesting uh, studies were presented uh, to stay in the HER2 positive uh, subgroup. We had a new adjuvant study looking into uh, another way of uh, giving a dual blockade, which is with PDM1 and pertuzumab. This was the Christine study, and the Christine uh, study showed that the dual blockade leads to a slightly better PCR, but we don't know really um, if that will be translated into a long-term outcome. And the difference is not that substantial. It's about maybe 10, 12%. So the jury is still out about the use of dual blockade, and particularly dual blockade using uh, TDM1 in, instead of trastuzumab, and more studies are needed both in the new adjuvant and the adjuvant setting. We also had um, the presentation of a German study called the ADAPT study, also looking into the use of dual blockade. This study is particularly interesting because it looks to the characteristics of the tumor and then uh, according to those characteristics, tries to uh, include the patient in specific arms of the study where specific questions are asked. And here the question was the look of the effect of a dual blockade, trastuzumab, pertuzumab, with or without um, chemotherapy. And of course, we have always wanted to identify 
the subgroup of patients where maybe chemotherapy would not be uh, necessary. But in this case, uh, what we saw is that the chemotherapy adds a substantial benefit, and therefore the combination of the two monoclonals um, was not we were not able to prove that it was non-inferior to the combination of the antibodies and, and chemotherapy. So at least based on this specific study, we still need to prescribe chemotherapy in this um, particular subgroup of patients. Now, for the HER2-negative early breast cancer, um, a few trials were presented regarding types of adjuvant chemotherapy. And the main messages are the role of anthracyclines is more and more established. So despite the fact that people are afraid of the use of anthracyclines, uh, all studies that we have so far show a benefit, not a substantial benefit, in the case of the trials that were presented called the ABC trials. Uh, we see a benefit of about 2.5% uh, of the use of anthracycline. So clearly, uh, for the moment, we have no data to tell us that we can safely omit these um, type of, of agents. Then we also have the presentation of the Phoenix, uh, a, a study run in Finland, looking at the role of adjuvant capcitabine. And here, we could not find um, a substantial benefit of adding capcitabine. There were some subgroup analyses, but we need to be very careful interpreting the subgroup analysis. So for the moment, in unselected patients, we don't recommend the use of capcitabine. Uh, thinking about another study that was not presented at ASCO but last year, where um, capcitabine was presented in the post-neoadjuvant setting, there we had a substantial benefit. So it means that the selection of high-risk patients may make all the difference when you are identifying who needs a, a specific agent. And the last uh, point I would make in the early breast cancer setting was the presentation of the MA17R trial. This is a Canadian trial looking into um, adjuvant endocrine therapy. So, in fact, um, uh, patients who have received five years of a neuromatase inhibitor were randomized to continue with another five years or to go to placebo. So, we were looking at 10 years treatment with a neuromatase inhibitor and what the trial showed is that it is beneficial, uh, at least in terms of disease-free survival and contralateral breast cancer, and not yet in overall survival, to prolong the treatment for 10 years. So I think what we can say for sure in the adjuvant setting is that the majority of our patients will need a 10-year treatment. We don't know how to identify those cases at low enough risk not to receive 10 years. We need to do a lot of translational research in that area. What we also don't know is if 10 years should be of um, an aromatase inhibitor, 10 years of tamoxifen, a switch between tamoxifen and aromatase inhibitor, 
and it will be very difficult that we have a trial comparing all these strategies. But from my personal experience in clinical practice, 10 years is a very long time and we need to prescribe something that does not interfere or interferes very little with the life of the patient so that she can sustain 10 years of treatment. So I would advise you to choose the agent that is better tolerated by the individual patient. The differences in survival are extremely small between tamoxifen and aromatase inhibitor. And so, in principle, a switch, so half of the time with one and half of the time with another, would be better tolerated, and I don't believe that there will be a major difference in the outcome. But certainly, I am prescribing to almost all my patients 10 years of um, endocrine, adjuvant endocrine therapy. And not to be too long, I think uh, I've covered most of, of the most important news of the ASCO 2016. Thank you so much for that comprehensive overview. So in your opinion, what is the role of immunotherapy, for example, immune checkpoint inhibitors in breast cancer? So um, unfortunately, at least for the moment and based on the results that we have, I don't think that there uh, are extremely exciting uh, results of, of immunotherapy and breast cancer. It may be that it's a very complex tumor uh, where the um, presentation of the tumor antigens to our immune system, it is not well performed, let's say this way. Whatever is the reason behind um, from all the uh, malignancies where immunotherapy is being evaluated, I would say that breast cancer has the least exciting um, results. Now, having said that, um, I know there are several uh, studies ongoing and uh, in planning to evaluate better uh, some of these agents in specific subpopulations and selected patient populations in breast cancer. So I think the future will tell us. But for the moment, in my opinion, there are no uh, exciting results and this would not be one of the venues that I would uh, prioritize in breast cancer. And are there any new treatment targets or strategies on the horizon? In terms of breast cancer, yes, indeed. Uh, so, um, we are, as we discussed, we are uh, starting to learn how to use all the different uh, new weapons that we have in the management of luminal breast cancer. We will have also news in the upcoming ESMO conference. And uh, the challenge there is how can we use all the new tools that we have in the best sequencing. In the HER2 positive population, we have also um, very good and specifically targeted uh, agents. And the issue there again is the best sequencing and the best associations that we need to develop. And where I believe the new breakthroughs will happen, and so at least I hope also, is in the triple negative uh, population. We have now started to divide this triple negative in different diseases, something between seven and ten different diseases, each of them with a specific trigger, and for some of them, 
we have new agents being evaluated, for example, uh, androgen receptor inhibitors. There are trials already ongoing that will probably report in a year or so. We also have, again, the study of the PARP inhibitors in specifically defined populations. And if we would ever have um, a positive uh, outcome of immunotherapy in breast cancer, my uh, personal opinion would be in one or two of the subtypes of uh, triple negative breast cancer. So a lot of ongoing studies with new uh, targets inside the different types of uh, triple negative breast cancer. So we're looking forward to ESMO that is taking place in Copenhagen later this year for new data on breast cancer. Thank you so much, Professor Cardoso, for recording this podcast with us. Goodbye. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>